Hello and welcome back to the Men You Are Not Alone podcast. This is now the fourth time I've tried to make this um, this episode. It's a solo episode. And uh, the last two times, two previous times that I did it, I was too tired and I do start mumbling. When, or I stop enunciating very clearly when I'm when I'm tired. I just did another episode of it and then I deleted it. And it, it's I'll get to why I'm just I'm tired and uh, I know some things about my my either career choice or my professional life need to change because I'm being bled out slowly like a battery. This is about a horse named Pete, but it, the reason that I went back to Pete, the reason Pete Pete hasn't been in my life for I don't know twenty seven twenty eight years maybe thirty now, yeah thirty years now. I was in my early twenties. So a flashback, you know how a song can take you back. You hear a song, man, it can transport you to a place 10 years ago, five years ago, 30 years ago, and you can smell the place. You can, you, you know, the entire setting and you are back in that moment just for a flash. And sometimes things that you see just do that. The things we see. So anyway, so I've, I'm at this point where I've gotten to where I can carry a bigger load um, over time in construction. So therefore I get a bigger load. And then as I've, as I adapt to carry that bigger load, then the mentality of the greed driven culture that I work in is that, well, then you need to carry a bigger load even still like after that. So there is no, there is no answer to the question, how much is enough because that question hasn't been asked. And I've, I have been asking that question of myself, and I realize that I'm over what is enough as far as my capacity to live my life. And my job has become kind of all-consuming in my life, and it's somewhat the nature of my position, but I've I've sort of evolved into this where I'm on-call or on-duty almost 24, not almost 24 hours a day because I turn my phone off, but, but seven days a week, and it's just this continual... Uh, drain down to where I'm now tired in my bones, and and I realize that the the na- the nature of either what I'm doing or where I'm working, th- there is no discipline that is going to back that off or redefine it or ask, uh, could the culture be toxic and could it be killing our employees? Could it be you know is, what's our return on investment? What are we risking by driving the horses this hard? And because every horse has its working, every beast of burden has its last straw, its its red line. So that's that's kind of where I've been. And so um, a couple weekends ago, I got a text from my little sister, and she sent me this link to a Twitter video about a horse race. It was the Kentucky Derby, and uh, a horse named Rich Strike that that beat out the the uh, apparently the two lead contenders. And and it was in the last furlong of the race, and this horse rich strike comes from the very back, takes the race right at the end. When I saw that, and that, I don't know, I don't know, what, I don't keep up with horse racing at all. Not, a, not, I'm not even interested in it. Uh, I do like horses, but I really don't care about horse racing. I like horses because of their spirit, not really for much else. So I don't know. For all I know, there's an investigation of steroid use or some kind of. Uh, rigging of something for betting. I have no idea. But I'm just going to assume 
right now that it's a completely legit. And what I saw in that video is, is accurately and honestly a depiction of what took place. And there's no, there's no uh, malicious activity in that. And so, you know, I watched this horse at the back, this rich strike horse, literally almost at the very end of the pack, shift into a gear that the other horses didn't have. And it, it was in that last furlong. And that jockey got that horse moved all the way through the crowd to the front and then that horse, it truly, he found a gear that no other horse on that track had. It's like he slapped it into a gear that was a surprise. Not to the jockey, because the jockey knew that horse very well. He knew right where that horse's sweet spot was. And he knew his, his endurance level and stuff like that. And it looks like he played it absolutely perfectly. But again, I, I'm just going to assume that all of that is legit and there was nothing uh, no, nothing amiss in the representation that I saw in the video. And that reminded me of, of I sat there and I watched that horse run up and it was kind of weird. It actually made tears start coming down my cheeks, not only from uh, bottled up stress from my job, and but just realizing that, that life is intended to be lived abundantly. Not that it's to be lived with no trials or hardship. Um, I, th I do agree with Viktor Frankl that there's absolutely purpose and meaning in, in suffering and hardship. And I do think it makes us better men on the other side of it. And, and it's part of our journey. It comes with the package. And life is not just a bowl of cherries. It's not whatever, unicorns and rainbows. And and it's that it's that back and forth of hard and good and hard and good that makes us appreciate you know the good helps us endure the hard the hard helps us to enjoy the good and to really savor and it, it adds value to life because it reminds us that we're not immortal we're blessed but not immortal you know in this spacesuit that we live in here on this earth and so it just reminded me it reminded me of guys around me. Granted, maybe I, I see it more because I, I deal with more guys who have had their teeth kicked in by life. And I watched that horse, and it just reminded me of so many men who they just keep going, they just keep going, and they look like they're out of the race. And honestly, much of the culture wants them to be out of the race. And I would say if I would to if I were trying to describe what I see coming against men, at least from our culture here in the U.S., it is an attempt to exhaust men, to wear them down. And however long that takes, you know, women use the court system. They use shaming tactics. They use victimhood. They keep they make men's issues have a, a cone of silence around them so that they can't be spoken. And it's like this slow grinding, slow drain of men as if there's no cost to this to our culture. And there's a huge cost to it. And I watch these men and they hold their position in the back, just like that jockey kept Rich Strike toward the back of the pack. And, and then there was a time when the rest of the herd got stunned by what Rich Strike had in reserve. The two gears that he still had in his gearbox that none of those horses had in theirs. But he didn't talk about it. Nothing. There was no nothing. It was just biding his time. And that's what I watch men doing. They're biding their time to get out of precarious situations 
of others trying to destroy their lives, and then most of them are not returning to that life. They're not returning to that life, and 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 they're doing just fine being bachelors and living out their days without the risk of being just somebody trying to destroy them. Whew, this one's a struggle because I've already done it. This is my fourth time, so I've kind of lost my mojo with this episode. But let me see if I can put this into a nutshell. So when I rode Pete, you know, Pete and I would go out and do our work, but and, and Pete was a really, really good cutting horse. But inside Pete's heart, his passion was running. And because of the prairie where we lived, we didn't have groundhogs, not groundhogs, that's out here, prairie dogs, uh, which, you know, make little burrows in the ground. It, it, if you got a bunch of prairie dogs, it gets pretty dangerous for a horse. Not if you're walking, because a horse will see the holes, but if it's running wide open, uh, we didn't have those, so it, it it could pretty much, we could just boogie. And there really wasn't any risk to Pete of like snapping an ankle or something like that. It was, I knew where to run him. It was very easy. I knew the long, smooth, flat stretches where Pete could just run. And that was part of what Pete was. If you've never spent time around a horse, it's kind of weird. When you get to know a horse... It's kind of like like your dog. Like if you have a dog who's your buddy, sometimes your dog just looks at you like he gets it. Like you don't have to say anything. It's like another one of your guy friends. Like your dog just gets it, like looks at you and says, hey, I understand, man. You don't have to say anything. I'm just going to hang here because I get it. Like that's it. Um, a horse will do the same thing. And it's sometimes when a horse, especially if you're riding it like or – the ones I have, I go back to Pete because he was kind of an exceptional horse to me. And he taught me a lot about being a young man. And and I didn't realize kind of what an impact a horse would have on my life, even 30 years down the road. But, you know, even when we were just walking, like when we got done with work or whatever, usually we didn't just ride back. Um, I lived on the ranch. Uh, nobody else did. So I didn't have to get back. You know, they would go take their horses back. Sometimes they'd load them into the trailer and I'd be like, no, we're just going to ride home. You know, and it may be four miles back to the ranch. Well, to where I, the little trailer I stayed in on the ranch. So we would just mosey. Like, no hurry. We'd just have water and just cruise along. And we would check out stuff, look for arrowheads, little chip piles where arrowheads had been made, look for fossils, and just enjoy the natural world. But Pete would look at me often, like when we were riding, you know, we literally just poking along and like he would turn his head and I could see him looking at me like in the saddle, looking at me. And it was that same look that a dog gives you like, Hey, I get it, man. I get it. But a lot of times his eyes were kind of begging the question, like, can we run now? Cause he knew I, w I wouldn't let him run home. I don't know why I was taught that at a youthful age. You just don't let a horse run home. But we would go out, you know, and we would run. All I had to do was just like that. And I could just, I'll just, and I never had to do anything with the reins with Pete. Like it was, he was the easiest horse in the world. But he knew that once I made that and I laid my hand, like with the reins in it, I laid him on his mane right there. God, Katie barred the door, man, because he just freaking opened it up. And I mean, I'd have to hang on to the saddle and drop way down on the other hand, you know, and hang on because he, God, he was fast. 
And that thrill, it was awesome. My hat would just get sucked off my head and I didn't even care. I'd find it some other time or we'd, we'd come back that way and I'd pick it back up. It was this old, terribly beaten up Stetson, this black felt hat. And, and it looked like it had been dragged by a train. Uh, and maybe at some point in its previous life it had been. But Pete would run, and and I, I compare this kind of to some of our journeys through life as men. You know, Pete would run, and he I just gave him his head. Like, he would just, I'm like, go, dude. Like, you run because that's what God put it in you to do is to, he, you run, dude. So run, man, chase this purpose. And as we would go, you know, over little rises and down, they, they're not huge. It's not like mountains you're going over, but there were a lot of like short rises and stuff like that. So you you had a, um, you know, from the higher part of the rise, you would have a very good unobscured view for the most part. But but when you were down low, you know, going over the back or whatever, like you you lost a lot of your view. Well, there's a lot of pronghorn antelope, a lot of antelope out there. We called them, we just called them goats. Uh, well, they would they would lay down a lot of times, and they would be you know under maybe a, a small tree or a, a large bush. They just find a shady spot and kind of kick back and lay down for a while. Well, we would come blowing over the top of a hill, and if you've never seen an antelope, like especially a buck, like an adult buck, get up and run, they can go from sleeping. <laughs> to 40 miles an hour in about two seconds. They are the most incredible animal to watch run that I see. And maybe it's because of what I've always associated them with freedom. And so we would come barreling. You know, they would hear us coming up the back of the rise. And so we would barrel over the top of that that rise and maybe a little pinion tree or a little uh, small cottonwood or something like that in a little you know, like part of where an intermittent stream comes with the rain, you know, and that buck would jump up and and bolt. And technically, Pete, especially at his age, shouldn't have been able to outrun uh, like a young adult male goat uh, antelope. But Pete saw that as a challenge, kind of like the Anguses that, that irritated the fire out of him because they were always full of piss and vinegar. But Pete would keep running and that, that goat would take, the antelope would take off and get, I mean, he would be going Pete's speed in one second from sitting, from laying down to the same speed Pete was going in one second, starting to pull ahead the second second. Like they are just incredible. Their burst speed is so fast. And, but Pete, like Rich Strike, would reach down inside and, and he knew he could not run that goat or that antelope as, you know, it for very, very long. It, but Pete would reach down inside and shift gears. And for about three seconds, he would start gaining back on that antelope. And you could see that maya, that buck looking back like, oh, crap, he's going to catch me. I mean, I think you know everybody but the antelope knew, like I knew, Pete knew, like there's no way I can catch this thing. Um, they're just too fast. It was that, you know, I would look at that and we, you know, then we'd, we'd get done running and I just, we just, go back to moseying just to walking, you know, and Pete would do that sideways look, you know, he wasn't looking at the terrain around him. He'd look back and look at me and he would look at me kind of like, thanks dude. And I just look at him like, Hey, I get it, man. That's good. Like, is it out of your system? If it's not, we're going to run some more. Um, but I want you to know that you, you fulfilled the maximum of what you love the most today. And so, 
in our culture, at least here in the United States, you know, men are constantly being bombarded to be more like women. Um, and ironically, it's women who tell us that and men who largely have been raised by women who are telling men that. And it's so misguided. And it's like women telling us to become the kind of men that they don't even find attractive. But that's the narrative and that's the the stick that men are beat with these days. And then you've got these simp men who are saying, oh, you just need to be more like women because then you'll be like us and you won't be that attractive and you'll get used by women and you'll be disrespected and they'll just friend, they'll just keep you in their little friend zone and they're never going to actually want a relationship with you. And it's like this dysfunctional mess of things way out of balance. So that can make a man very tired. And, and I know that you get tired. I know men that you do. And because it can be a long run requiring a lot of tenacity, especially in today's culture, where sometimes unless you're in the company of other men, especially men who have some strength, you feel like you're alone. Even sometimes being around other men, it's like they're if they're simps, if they're kind of that beta male, there's not really a whole lot of strength to draw off of because maybe they just sort of swallowed the advice from women that men, that women like men who are more like them, which is absolutely false, but Anyway, I can't sort all that out now. That's too much. That's too many layers of dysfunction for too many generations in this in this country. So we've just kind of got to start over and catch men where they are. I do know it gets tiring and you feel like you're alone and your legs are tired. But just like a horse, and if you if I can't put you on the back of a horse to run across the prairie, I wish I could. But just watching that video taught me it re- helped me to remember that my life is something I have always lived abundantly. And actually watching that video is part of what helped push me to knowing that I'm not that guy anymore. And I ha- Well, I am, but it's been a year, year and a half since I was that guy. And I'm going to go back to being that guy. But, you know, I need to make some changes. I've identified sort of what's him- what's hindering that. And-, and I'm in the process of changing those things so that that toxicity goes away. And my emotional energy can, once again, grow and be abundant. I don't have a huge summary for this one. But watch that video. I I hope that you will make the choice to run the race like Rich Strike finished the Kentucky Derby. And yes, you may be just a nobody. Actually, we're all nobodies. But we're valuable. Maybe in the back of the pack, it seems like, oh my gosh, what a loser. I've thrown my life away. I have no answers for anything. It's all a train wreck. This isn't what I set out to do with my life. Well, welcome to the club. None of us have. You know, nobody nobody made a plan at 18 and then at 35, bam, dude, I'm right on target. And if they tell you that, they're they're full of manure. Life changes. But don't let that have you check out of the race. If you got to stay back there for a little while before you get into a sprint, hang back there with the herd, but don't give up. And then there's a point where you're going to get that you're going to have that extra gear in your gearbox and you're going to you're going to open it up. And you're going to race toward whatever it is. Once you identify what your purpose is, and that horse's purpose was to spank all the other horses on that track and he knew he had it in him, and by God he did it. <laughs> he wasn't going to take no for an answer. So 
don't burn up all your energy um, on wa- don't waste it on things that are just trivial or nonsense. Be careful what you exhaust your energy on. Save it and use it for when you identify, not when a woman around you identifies, not when somebody else identifies what your purpose is. When you are getting a clear head, you're getting your feet back underneath you. You, you always stay the course, but then you can run. But don't give up. Okay, just like Rich Strike certainly didn't give up. And this one is a little bit of a, this is a quick addendum. I'd already cut the mic off and was going to wrap it up. But I think this is, this episode is as much me preaching to myself or as a reminder not to give up. And I'm not going to give up. But I mean, you know, there are long legs of journey sometimes. There's a, there's a long leg where your legs just seem to get tired. And I go back to that Kentucky Derby race. Uh, the horse doesn't necessarily remember how many laps around the track it's going to go. What that horse is waiting for is when to be turned loose. I just looked at that whole thing, and it kind of reminds me of the way God has worked in my life, and that is where God is like the jockey, and he holds that. And I want to run. Like, I want to run. I want to charge into something. I got this idea, whatever. I want to run into it. Or, hey, I need to change jobs. But God sits there with the reins and, and, and says, not yet, not yet. Be patient, not yet. Just like the jockey held Rich Strike back. Well, for the other laps around the track, that jockey knows, hey, dude, you've only got so much energy and you don't see right at the moment that you still got to go around this track again. Like if I turn you loose right now, I know you want to run, but you don't have a sense of scale of how long you can hold out of that run. So I'm not going to turn you loose until I know that you have the energy to make it to where the end of the sprint, where the sprint needs to end. Again, it is a reminder to me mostly and to you if it works that there are some long, tiring stretches to our journey. And it it is not always an easy road. In fact, I don't want it to be an easy road. I, I like the easy spots, but I, I I like the muscle that gets built by having to endure. So if you are in a time of endurance and you believe in God and you let him drive your life, be aware that the jockey is not going to kick that horse loose before he can finish the race. He's not going to kick him loose in the first 12 seconds because he's the guy, he's the one that will get lapped by all the other horses. So God will meet out. He will unfold your path as your energy level often for things that you can't see coming that may deplete your energy level. And you keep saying, oh, no, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Ready to execute this idea. Ready to jump. Ready to make this change. Whatever. But you don't see what you can't see. And maybe that thing that you can't see, you're going to need an excess of energy to get through that little spot. And then when you get to the other side, you still have enough left to make a sprint to execute an idea, make a change, whatever it might be. So with that said, not that that clarified anything, but for me personally, that's me lecturing to myself. You just had to overhear it. I will catch you on the next one.